this isn't a one-sided thing. I mean, you are on the anti-cigarette side, and I'm on the yes. pro-cigarette side. Unless I'm, you know, the that's, best defense is a strong offense. Well, yeah, that's what Dad always said, but, you and know. And he said it because uh, it was true. Well, yeah, mostly he said true things. Uh, right, and he's also, I mean, obviously he was a football coach, so that's yeah. another reason he said it all the time, but he, but it's true. Yes. <laughs> that is true. I mean, if there were two things he knew about, it was football and and not smoking. At least that's what I took away from it. Jove Graham is an actor, singer, musician, director, producer, scientist, and Star Wars aficionado, as well as doctor. Jove Graham is a Pennsylvania native who's also lived in Washington, D.C. and San Francisco Bay areas. He's been playing piano since age six and recorded two albums with his college a cappella octet, for which he did most of the vocal arranging. In college, he double majored in engineering and theater and took a year off between college and graduate school to work full-time as an apprentice at a Philadelphia theater company before moving to California to get a master's and doctorate in bioengineering. Currently, he works as a researcher at Geisinger Health System, sometimes teaches biostatistics and design at Bucknell University, and after work is the president of the Board of River Stage Community Theater, where he usually directs one production per year and appears in some others. He is currently getting ready to direct a summer production of Monty Python's Spamalot, which will start rehearsing in May pending coronavirus. He has been married for 15 years, has two kids, and resides in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. During the coronavirus quarantine, he has been playing an unhealthy amount of online chess and has recently been getting recognized by friends who stumble across his episodes of Jeopardy, which can also currently be watched on Netflix and Hulu. He can also talk a lot about Star Wars. At Instagram, you can find him at, at @gramjove. You can also find him at riverstagetheater.org. So I guess it is kind of difficult to ask someone like you who is responsible and involved in so many things what your one artistic vision is yeah. it might be easier to ask what your particulars are but let's if we could you you had said that your dad one of the first things you mentioned about creativity was that your dad used to make stories off the cuff so oh, yeah. was that your first experience with creativity was your father um well my parents both i think i should give equal credit to i mean they were both very creative people in in different ways uh, my mom was a teacher, was an art teacher specifically. Uh, her grandfather had been a photographer and a teacher of photography, like that was his career. Um, and so, you know, having that sort of, I said I'm not a painter, but, you know, having that sort of artistic eye and vision uh, was always very important. Uh, and we got a lot of that from my mom's side. And yeah, my dad, um, you know, it wasn't so. <laughs> much later in life that I discovered like sort of my dad's old high school yearbooks and thought, oh my gosh, he was like in more plays than I was in. Um, but that wasn't really a part of his his life when I was growing up. Um, but yeah, no, very much a storyteller and writer of stories and, and still is. He uh, uh, has a, you know, has a website of his own, which I help him keep up that, uh, and he goes and gets hired to sort of go to different events and functions and tell uh tell live stories no kidding like what, is, what is that website called uh, that is pa jack like pennsylvania jack but pa jack.com uh and he lives uh here about an, an hour away from us um so you know he's mostly doing local things but uh is uh, but both my parents are huge history buffs uh, and my dad does a combination of you know, stories that he writes and then again just sort of interpreting sort of old folklore tales and things like that. So 
But anyway, you know, I guess all of that is to say that, you know, I feel like I lived in a, in a house where, you know, we had very creative bugs uh, and, and reading and books and stories that could come out of that was a big part of, of, of me growing up. Is there a particular thing that you remember as being your first worthwhile creative endeavor? For instance, I think mm -hmm. when I was like seven or eight, my friend and I had a little tape recorder and we yeah. did, we pretended that we had our own radio show. I think that was one of the first nice. real like lengthy creative projects that I did. Do you have okay. like an equivalent of that? Um, yeah, I mean, a couple of things, I guess, spring to mind. So like in, in kindergarten, I was already you know, reading and writing. Uh, and like a couple of times I can remember my teachers, I, I, mean, I assume they just like didn't know what else to do with me. Like they had to like make up extra things for me to do. So like, so like I wrote a book when I was in kindergarten and now, you know, it's not like a novel. It's like a, you know, a book that a kindergartner would write, but still like it was something that was kind of very important to me at the, at the time that I do this. And I, you know, I sat down and I worked very hard and, uh, and, you know, made that. Um, and then in fourth grade, sort of a similar thing, like, I think my teacher was just like, get him out of here, like, give him something to do. It was like, go, go write a play and we'll, <laughs> we'll put it on. Um, and so, you know, I wrote a very silly play, which was basically like a parody of, you know, existing TV shows. This would have been 1984. Um, and, you know, so it was very goofy. Uh, but my teacher, <laughs> like, stuck to her word. We, we put this thing on uh, and people came and saw it I apparently I don't remember that part so well but um, so yeah I don't know the other thing was my cut my, my I have three cousins on my dad's side and we wouldn't see them very often except on Easter and Thanksgiving but again some uh, somehow I convinced them all that that was uh, like an activity that we should do every Thanksgiving that we should put on a play for our parents um, and then when you know video cameras came along and my parents actually had one then it turned into uh, making a, a, a film uh, each Thanksgiving um, you know again which were very goofy and silly and you know parodies of existing things and, and things like that but uh, you know but those were all very fun and, <laughs> and I remember my parents favorite part was that we always made them fill out a survey after each one <laughs> like a customer satisfaction survey, like, how did you like the play? What did you like about the play? Is there anything that could be improved about the play? We were sort of very focused on this, like getting this, this affirmation, I think, from our audience of, of four people. It would have been my parents and my aunt and uncle. Yeah, and it sounds like you have a bit of uh, nature and nurture going on to, to, to have the creativity that you do. Like it's in your genes, perhaps? but you were certainly conditioned that way by your parents, right? A lot of people in my family that were very sort of artistically bent. So my, my grandmother um, was, uh, she had a master's degree in, in scenic uh, or in, in theater. Uh, and you know, it was probably the first person before me and my family to have a master's degree. Uh, but, you know, and, you know, then went on to, uh, you know, to teach and, and do other things. Um, and as I said, my grandfather, who I never got to know, but I'm told often by that side of the family that I am like, uh, was a photographer all his life, and very artistic. And so, yeah, so, I mean, I think there's a little bit of that. And my sister, you know, as well, uh, majored in music and theater and works uh, now sort of part-time for the same theater company. 
Are we allowed to say the name of that one or no? Oh, yeah. Arden Arden Theater. Yeah. Arden Very prestigious. That's a great place. I mm -hmm. miss it a lot. I wish I could get back there more often than I do. I bet. I bet you miss that. You know, with all the different art forms that you are involved in and the ones that you started with being more of the theatrical, would you say that you love a particular art form more than another? Or is it just whatever you have the, the time and ability to get involved in is what you're passionate about? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Some, you know, music and theater both, uh, but again, like not to beat a dead horse, but I, f I feel like even in those art forms, this, the story of it is really important. Um, you know, I'm probably just not sophisticated enough to appreciate like a great symphony, uh, but, but I, you know, purely orchestral music that's... <laughs> It's not like Peter and the Wolf, where I, I know that there's a story being told. Um, I, I, I don't have too much interest in that, or you know, or dance. That while I re respect the the heck out of what dancers can do, that I, I certainly cannot. Um, you know, I, it needs to be. And dancers would probably tell me, well, there's always a story. You know, whether you get it or not. But uh, you know, anything just sort of for the pure art of it that doesn't have some kind of narrative. Um, I lose interest in very quickly, but um, but otherwise, yeah. I mean, I think you know those two live music and and theater are definitely the things that I like the most. So your parents are they were the ones responsible for all the different places that you've moved around, or is that strictly because of your your passions and yeah, following them? Uh, uh, no, that was that's more adult life. So I uh, <clears throat> lived in a couple different places as a kid. Uh, so my father worked for the Pennsylvania State Parks uh, system, so he was the manager, they call superintendent, of several different state parks. So we did actually move around a bit I, uh, in one school district through ninth grade, and then we moved when I was in high school and uh, moved a couple other times, but that was all within Pennsylvania. Uh, so I went to college in Pennsylvania as well, uh, but then afterwards, uh, got into graduate school in California, and, and that was my choice to, to go out to California and live out there. Uh, I was there for five years. And then after coming back uh, for a little while, yeah, my first quote real job after school was all done was in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, so, yeah, that was, those were all <laughs> adult <laughs> experiences. First of all, I've never met anyone, I didn't even know this about your dad, who okay. was raised by someone that took care of state parks and had to move around because of that. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and then going to where I moved to Pennsylvania from, Northern California, you were you went to Berkeley. Berkeley, right. it, well, technically Oakland is my favorite part of that whole area. Yeah. It's because there's so many cultures converging and celebrating each other. Absolutely. And then being so close to a great university that it influences the culture even more. So you have your dad raising you in a very unique situation. You have the culture you acquired from Northern California moving to the culture of DC. Yeah. So would you say that you are like an, a cultural amalgamation or did, yeah. <laughs> or did you just pick up little bits here and there that uh, you liked? I, yeah, I guess so. I don't know, what kind of an accent do I have? I still have a, like a sort of Western Pennsylvania accent. I don't notice you, I've never noticed you having an accent. No, uh, yeah, well, everybody thinks they don't have an accent, but it's actually, I, I listen to tapes of uh, myself once as a very little kid and yeah I had a stronger like Pittsburgh accent because we lived closer to Pittsburgh when I was really little but um, anyway uh, yeah I mean a, a little bit I guess I mean again being sort of an adult 
uh, or mostly an adult, uh, when living in San Francisco and DC. Uh, you know, it's maybe not quite the same as if I'd been, you know, what they call like army brat moving around, uh, you know, as a kid. Um, but I would, you know, I would hope that any time you're living in a different place with a different mix of people and, and you know, different experiences, that that does help and, and shape and give you empathy, uh, you know, maybe and, and a little perspective. So I would certainly hope that, you know, that that has rubbed off on me. Um, and uh yeah i mean northern california was was really wonderful so my my wife was born and raised well not born and raised raised in northern california um so that was really you know her her stomping grounds her environment and that's good for us because it means we get to go back uh, uh and visit relatives and, and things like that from time to time i always say now you know now that i have a, family and kids to raise and uh, a place to live um, that uh, that living here in the middle of Pennsylvania <laughs> is a lot more affordable than living in Northern California uh, and also just you know less crowded and less you know stressful in general spent a lot more time in the car when we lived in Northern California oh my god yeah California is all about driving yeah all of, and driving by yourself if you don't have yeah. to have somebody in the car with yeah, you. yeah that's right um, but but it was a wonderful place, you know, as a as a grad student. So to spend, like I said, five years out there in my twenties uh, was you know was just a great place. And then you know DC as well. Like not only, I mean, obviously DC is sort of uh, not governed by, but affected very much by the federal government. You know, work workforce, which is huge. Um, and so not only did I live in D.C., but I worked for the, the Federal Food and Drug Administration. Um, and again, I think that's a place where you get a lot of, of diversity, you know, a lot of people with, well, scientific backgrounds, but very different scientific backgrounds uh, and medical backgrounds and legal backgrounds and things like that. Um, and it really is, you know, a place that attracts uh, smart people and, and people who want to sort of serve their country in a different non-military kind of way uh, from lots of places. And so I feel like that was also a really good experience and a, and a good you know place to be and interacting with those kind of folks. I didn't grow up in this area of Pennsylvania, but I'm back in my home state and you would think that I would you know, sort of collect those experiences and those perspectives from other places and bring them back and try to influence people here with them. But I don't know how well I'm doing at that. Well, I think only the people in your life could probably um, affirm that or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is her job at Bucknell the reason that you moved to Pennsylvania? Yep. So uh, what was your plan like as Jove yeah, career-wise? Career that's a good question. Well, so we were both living in D.C. Uh, we we moved there uh, when we were still, we, we each moved there, I sh guess I should say, while we were still dating and we got married while we lived in that area. And I had my job at the FDA, which could have been a, a permanent job. Uh, I was very, you know, I was very happy with it. Um, but she had a, uh, felt more like a fellowship type position or a, what they call postdoc uh, position at the Naval Research Lab uh, in the southeast uh, corner of DC. And so it was not really a permanent thing. I mean, they, they liked her as I do, and they I'm sure gladly would have hired her on full time. But the particular job she was in was not meant to be a 
permanent kind of thing. And as she was getting near the end of that, she was saying, well, you know, I like it here well enough, I like the people well enough, but I really want to be a teacher, um, and I really want to teach. So she started interviewing a couple different schools in different places. And when she got uh, sort of heard back from Bucknell to say, you know, you were interested in you, can you come up for an interview? Uh, that was one of <laughs> one of the early questions. I don't know if it was her first question, but one of her early questions, thankfully, was, well, I have this husband and I'm not sure what he's going to do if I bring him. It's like a condition. I have this <laughs> husband situation. Yeah, I got this whole, like, thing. <laughs> well, so we call that the two-body problem. I don't know if that's related <laughs> outside the teaching or uh, science community, but two-body problem. Uh, you know, right off the bat, they were like, oh, well, you know, Geisinger. And we both said, what? Because <laughs> we didn't know what Geisinger was. And I don't know if all your listeners know what Geisinger is either, but it's a fairly large health system here in central and northeastern Pennsylvania. And uh, so they said, well, you know, if he's a you know biomedical type person that's working for the FDA, I'm sure they would give him a job there at Geisinger. Anyway, it was a little, it was a leap of faith. And we talked about the fact that, you know, we would just we'd figure it out. I remember doing those calculations about, well, you know, what kind of, uh, how, how long can we make it if you have a job and I don't have a job? But, it, you know, it worked out <laughs> for the best. One of the other collective perspective members is trying to join us. She's got no video, no audio. So I'm guessing she's trying to listen while she takes care of her child or does what okay. she needs to do. Well, <laughs> hi there. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> hi, how are you? I'm good. Well, my curiosity is always on balance because that's a question that is quite often the challenge is how do you balance all the different facets of your life? And especially now that we're in this situation where people can't leave home and we can no longer ignore the fact that there needs to be childcare and there needs right. to be somebody there all of yeah. the time yeah. <laughs> uh, helping facilitate those lives. I'm just curious, how has this shifted or has it shifted in responsibilities for yourself and your partner at home? How have things shifted and how are they now? No, it's, it's definitely shifted. And, you know, I'll preface all this by saying like, you know, we're doing okay. And I realize that there are people out there really, you know, struggling with this new shift here. Um, but yes, we, so my wife and I both work and are now expected to work from home. Uh, during this crisis, um, and we have two kids uh, that would be in middle school and elementary school right now. And, uh, you know, for the first week or two, we thought maybe this was just a temporary thing and, you know, sort of, well, just let's not worry about, you know, as long as they're having fun and not burning the house down, it'll be fine. But then as this has gone longer and longer, and now they have assignments uh, being sent home from teachers and work that they're supposed to get done as well. And the two of us are really, you know, it's, it's challenging for us to, to be there looking over their shoulder the, all day long. Um, it's been hard. I, I mean, I think the, and I'm sure you're finding this as well, like we were talking earlier in the hour with, with Isaac that I used to have a commute. <laughs> I used to have sort of a separation of, okay, I'm home. I will make, you know, I make breakfast for the kids. I do that kind of stuff, get them on the school bus for the day. But then I have sort of a half hour transition where I go into work mode and then I'm at work and I'm doing that work and then I have about a half hour coming back. And I think, you know, it's, I, I assume I'm not the only one that has been hard for is the blurring of that boundary where I'm sort of always now thinking about working and thinking about what the kids are doing at the same time um, because, you know, we had a slight interruption here, but, you know, but that's what all day is like, even though 
Um, my wife and I have sort of rearranged things a bit. In the, in the beginning of the of the shutdown, I was just trying to get all my work done downstairs at the dining room table, and that was not working very well. Um, so we have a room now where we both kind of shut ourselves in here. Um, but uh, you know, but it, that still doesn't. It's not. It's not like the door's locked. You know? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think it you know really shines a light on you know not only the fact that our health insurance is tied to our jobs, uh, which is a very hard thing for people, but also you know the, the sort of childcare and what do you do when when the kids can't go to school and um, and you know what do you do with them all day? So you know I'll be the first to admit our kids are watching more TV than they normally would, and they're you know playing more video games than they they normally would and I think the best that we can do is try to you know not try to recreate the eight-hour school day for them at all or not even close but you know to at least try to inject some variety and you know try to make them go outside and play <laughs> and try to make them spend at least a little time you know, reading a book or <laughs> doing something that's enrichment uh, and I, you know I don't know how other people are doing it but that's, that's about the best we feel like we can manage how old are your you, you said you are a mother how old are your kids are i i have i have a four-year-old and i like to call her a fornado because she goes from nice. she goes from zero to what the heck happened really quick right, and right. um that's that's the the challenge right is how do you balance that and your creativity are you able to be creative in this time and space or is that something that has to be left aside so that you can do your professional work I mean, no, a little bit. I mean, we certainly are trying to, I, I was saying earlier to, to Isaac that I still have this sort of duty each night to, to read to the kids and usually make up a story off the top of my head. Um, so it's a good exercise. Sometimes I am literally just too tired to do that, but other times, you know, I feel like it's stretching that, it's a, a stretching that muscle to to make sure you'll be able to do that. So early on, uh, we we even made a video in the one weekend. I, I we were talking about the movie Tangled and, and Disney movies, and so I made my kids do like a little music video, and that was wonderful fun. I think I enjoyed it more than they did, but you know, but we really worked on that. Um, and thankfully, both my kids uh, love to, to draw and love to build Lego, <laughs> and I love to do those things too. And so I think, you know, part of it is the sort of the boundary things of, you know, we've sort of started making a schedule for them during the day while we're off work to say, okay, from one o'clock to two o'clock, I want you to do this, from two o'clock to three o'clock, I want you to do that. Um, but I wish I had <laughs> those blocks in my day as well. My day seems to just kind of get work done and then it's time to eat dinner and, you know, and, and get kids to bed and, and things like that. But, you know, I couldn't do the theater that I do without my wife, who's, you know, willing to sort of not be going to rehearsals when I'm going to rehearsals during those periods of time. So, I think, you know, it's, it's, it is not that it's not doable, obviously, but, you know, but it helps. And I couldn't do what I do without the sort of support at home. Uh, and these times when, you know, when theater is a big outlet for me to not be able to do that, it's, it's definitely hard, but mm -hmm. uh, people have bigger things to worry about. That's true. Yeah. You are doing so many things that demand so much time and, and affect so many people aside from being a father. Uh, yeah, I, I'm in awe of parents who can also make life happen. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think part of it is, you know, yeah, you're trying to you're trying to set a good example for those kids, right? You, you know, you're trying to say these are the things that are important uh, to me, and you hope that that rubs off and and that they, you know, think that those things are important too. Not that they shouldn't have their own choices, but obviously, if if you love something enough, that you would hope that their your kids would do that as well. But but yeah, it's the other, you know, that I don't stop and look around very often to realize it. But the the theater company that, you know, given it's a pretty small community theater company, but we do, you know, we touch a lot of lives and uh, we touch a lot of, you know, people that are then in the process of making that theater with us, but then also the people that, you know, come and, and see it. Not that they couldn't go see theater or other places as well, but... You know, sometimes it's easy to forget that there's that aspect of it that you're, you know, you're, a lot of times you're focused on the, you know, the product that you're doing, you know, because you want to do it, um, but that hopefully you really are, you know, making some other people's lives, even if it's just for those two hours or whatever, you know, more enjoyable as as well. To some degree, I guess we're all in our own number of bubbles. The three of us are all performers, and so our bubble is very much reinforced by the same people that are doing what we do, or at least can, can empathize with it. Have you had anybody from the community come to you and say anything more than like, great job with that, directing that show, or great job acting in that show? Has anyone said like, thank you so much for bringing this to the community. I'm not an actor, I'm not a performer, but man, I'd have to drive an hour to see anything at all if not for you. Nice. Uh, yeah, d definitely. And I mean, part of that comes from, so, you know, we are a, a nonprofit registered organization and, and we have bills to pay. And so there is, uh, you know, in addition to the fundraising side of things, there's definitely a financial side of, of just trying to keep the, the theater going. And we've been so b blessed, if I can use that word, and, and fortunate that uh, we do have, you know, quite a few people and, and more people year over year. Um, that choose to to support us in that way as well, not just buy a ticket to the show, but also, uh, you know, donate to the the organization. As a performer myself, I guess um, one of the one of the things that comes to mind is one of the very first shows that we did uh, as River Sage was was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, um, and I played one of the brothers who has one song in that show. Um, but uh, afterwards, yeah, got a you know got a contact from somebody I, that works at Geisinger, not really somebody that I even work with, but a, but a doctor, who like you were saying is not a theater person, you know, not a performer themselves at all. Uh, but they wrote to me and said that was like that was possibly the most powerful song performance I've you know seen that I can remember. Like that was amazing, um, and I didn't know this person at all and and you know I was certainly happy with how I had done but I was not expecting anybody to, to make a comment quite like that so um, yeah so I mean both sides uh, I, I get to see a little bit in helping the group uh, thrive but it always feels good you know as a person when you hear that but as as somebody who's trying to make theater happen beyond what I'm doing myself uh, it feels so much better to you know to know that that the mission and the organization as a whole is is eliciting that kind of reaction uh, i guess if you're uh, working a lot with the community theater aspect are you able to look now that this entire covid situation has happened are you able to now sort of try to navigate a new type of 
scheduling in theater? Do you think that's in the future? Or do you think it's just going to be going back to the same? Or do you think there's going to be a shift? That's a real good question. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I, I think there's something that, I, I mean, I think there's a reason we have sort of, you know, different media in there as, you know, the pre-recorded and, and then the live performance. And I hope and think that the live performance of you no know, needing to, you know, be in a space and sharing a space close up with, with actors is not something that people are ever going to want to shift away from uh, completely. I, um, I, we are thinking now, of course, what we're going to be doing a year from now, because that's the way, you know, theater groups work. And, you know, it breaks my heart to, to have to sort of put that caveat into all my emails saying, well, you know, I don't know if this thing is going to happen again a year from now, like once winter rolls around again, are we going to have another flu pandemic? And, mm -hmm. and, uh, cause our February, sh no, our February show went on as scheduled, but we were supposed to have a show last month and we're supposed to have a show next month, which we're still waiting to see about. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I certainly like look to look up to and respect the sort of larger companies that are, that are sort of exploring that and, and trying more things. We're small enough that I don't think we are really capable of, of you know, shifting our model too completely. And if it, we you know, go transition to a world where we just can't have a large group of people together to do a show every other month, then I think most of us are going to need to find other outlets as well. But um, yeah, I don't know. We'll wait and see. I'm, I'm certainly uh, hoping that there's the normalcy or near normalcy that, that comes back around eventually because I think most of us that got into this just love the, the that up close and personal aspect of it and don't want to don't want that to go away. Well, Joe, I love you and thank you so much for, for being a part of this. Thank yeah. you for having me on. This was a good, like I said, even if it's just an excuse to talk to you, which I don't get to do <laughs> much anymore. I really uh, am grateful for that. Good. Well, give give your little ones a big, big, crazy kiss and hug and say it's from the crazy guy. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> will. And they will know who I mean. <laughs>